the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The sun is fully blackened here and locusts darken the sky where angels fly and they pollute the spiritual era of the Christian church. The last time we were together, Pastor Michael Oxentanko brought you the first portion of the bitter book and the new beginning. We will conclude that broadcast here today. The bitter book and the new beginning are part of the Revelation series. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. A little later on in the broadcast, I'll have information about how you can join us live in person if you would like, or you can watch online as well, and we have all that information coming here shortly. Let's get underway with the conclusion to The Bitter Book and the New Beginning. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. You have to use the little God has given you to make the difference where you're at. Miller was only a farmer and he was afraid to preach. He had no seminary education, he had no Greek and Hebrew, and he didn't think high of himself. I mean, it reminds me of the fishermen that Jesus chose. Christ didn't go for the theologians of his day. He went for the men that would listen and obey his word. And he he told himself, I can't tell it. I'm not an eloquent man. I can't preach. He was like Moses in that way. But he felt the urge to not keep it to himself. Go tell it to the world. He felt inside Jesus is coming. Miller shared his understanding with a few friends, but for the most part, he kept it to himself. One day, the conviction settled on him hard that if he didn't warn others, God would require their blood on his head. That day, William Miller went to a grove of trees to pray. In prayer, he cut a deal with God. You ever cut a deal with God? Say, Lord, you do this, I'll do that. And then you find out the Lord does it and you have to follow through. So in prayer, he cut a deal with God. Oh, God, he prayed, I'm only a farmer. I have no desire to preach, and yet I sense the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to take the book of Daniel, to open it up. I surrender to your will in my life. If you open the door, I'll walk through it and obey Relieved, he returned to his house thinking that would be the end of it. Suddenly there was a knock on the door. It was his nephew, Uncle Bill, Uncle Bill. Dad wants you to come to Dresden to preach about the prophecies. (laughs) Suddenly he went back into that orchard, struggled with God. He surrendered. He came back different. His biographer said he went in a farmer. He came out a preacher. And William Miller became the greatest preacher of the Second Great Awakening. At Dresden, 13 families accepted Jesus Christ to the preacher William Miller. In time, William Miller was awarded a ministerial credential from the Baptist Church. Miller didn't just teach prophecy. He preached prophecy with Jesus in it. He called the heart to God. He called the life to the cross. And he had men and women come and give their lives to Jesus. From 1831 to 1844, Miller preached to thousands of people in the United States. He became a national phenomena. He was the most powerful preacher, as I said, of the Second Great Awakening. His impact changed the Christian world. The Advent movement grew like wildfire from the open book of Daniel. 
Methodists, Baptists, Episcopalians, Catholics, and Lutherans accepted the message that Jesus was coming around the year 1843 to 1844. And they began to study their Bibles and line their lives with God's truth. Now, if you know Christ is coming next year, how would you spend this year? Well, would you say, well, let me go to the theater and just watch the latest junk that Hollywood turns out? Would you do that if you knew Jesus was coming next year? I hope not. Well, he may come for you next week if you die. So why do it anyway? You know, would you be reading the latest love novel or fiction that compromises your walk with God? Or would you not be reading your Bible and trying to share its truths with others? I mean, you see, so what we believe affects who we are and what we do. In the vilest cities and the smallest towns, the clear call went out, Jesus is coming. And men and women began to prepare for the coming of Christ. The sanctuary is to be cleansed with fire, and that meant the earth would be consumed. Christ is coming in 1843. There was an urgency in the world that had never been felt before. Curtis Johnson, in his book, Redeeming America, Evangelicals and the Road to Civil War, described the Millerite zeal in a single sentence. The purpose was to win as many souls as possible before Jesus returned. Now, that would be a good job description for Reaching Hearts International and for the Christian church today, would it not? In time, the Millerites were forced out of their churches. It was the first time since the beginning of the medieval captivity in 508 AD when Christians were free to just do what the Bible says. In 1843, they were pushed out, and it brought the end of the medieval captivity. In that pillar of fire and cloud, Christ was leading his church out of the systems of the Middle Ages upon a platform of Bible truth to prepare for the coming of Jesus. And the years shortly before 1844, as many as 500,000 people attended 125 Millerite meetings and tents. The great tent meetings of the Second Great Awakening became the great Advent tent meetings of the Second Great Awakening. At first, the Millerites believed that Jesus would return in the spring of 1843. The spring of 1843 came and passed, and Jesus did not come for them. Many cast aside their faith in the prophecies, the Bible, They quit studying the Bible altogether, but others pressed on to understand more deeply. They were willing to be purified and refined to figure out what's going on. At an Exeter, New Hampshire camp meeting on August 12, 1844, a young preacher by the name of Samuel Snow announced his discovery that would change Millerism, that would refocus the Millerite understanding in such a way that it would bring the whole Millerite movement to an interaction with a single day in prophetic history. He denounced his discovery that the cleansing of the sanctuary, the subject of Daniel 8.14, represented the great day of atonement in the Jewish calendar. And he preached that the tenth day of the seventh Jewish month, which is the day for the cleansing of the sanctuary, would be the day that Jesus returns. And the day of atonement would be fulfilled in the autumn of the Hebrew year in the year 1844. Using a copy of the Karite Jewish calendar, Samuel Snow shared with the Millerites that the Jewish religious year began in April in, that, in the month of the Passover. And he reasoned like this. You know, if Jesus died at Passover and his death was the fulfillment of prophecy, the Holy Spirit was fulfilled at Pentecost, why not Christ return at the cleanse of the sanctuary on the anatypical day of atonement on the 10th day of the 7th Jewish month in the year 1844? He was reasoning along lines that were consistent with the past. Using a copy of the Karite Jewish calendar, Samuel Snow shared with the Millerites that the Jewish religious year began in April. He believed that the 10th day of the seventh month would occur on October 22 in the year 1844. Wow. 
And so the cry went out at that camp meeting that mobilized Millerism into a movement that was looking for Jesus to come on a certain day in the autumn of 1844. Now, I have never been hard on the Baptists because they came up with this, okay? You hear me? You know why? Because Revelation 10 predicted it would happen. There was a disappointment that would happen as a result of this, just like the disciples were disappointed because of their false understandings of prophecy. God was working with the church as it came online to understand. October 22, 1844, became the day the world would end. That's what they thought. Miller wasn't comfortable with this development, but when he saw men and women accepting Jesus Christ, he stepped out of the way. He had Parkinson's disease, and he was old, and so he let other younger voices carry the day to proclaim the final call of Jesus' return. The message spread like wildfire. Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. It was called the midnight cry, the last cry before the bridegroom comes. On the microfilm record of the Providence, Rhode Island Journal, an amazing advertisement is found that appeared on the front page of the journal in that year. I'd like to read it to you. A man wrote, If I owe anybody any money as a result of my business dealings, and if I have not been faithful in paying it, please let me know so I can pay up my debts, because Jesus is coming October 22, 1844, and I want to ascend in the cloud to go with him. Sweet in the mouth were the words of the book of Daniel, Jesus is coming. The time of the end is here. Christ is coming. The sanctuary of this earth will be cleansed with fire very soon on October 22, 1844. On the evening of October 22, 1844, thousands of Americans gathered in the groves, and fields, and homes, and places of prayer. They had been thrown out of their churches. They had nowhere to go but to God and to glory. They became the church of the disinherited. The end of the medieval captivity ended with a people who had no church family. They were booted out of one church after another because they wanted to go home. They wanted Jesus to return. And many of these sincere people had given up everything that they had to share Christ with others before the end of the world would come as they understood it. They were unshackled Christians living with all of their life and love and prayer to prepare their world for Jesus' return. With Bibles in their hands, they went everywhere trying to win their friends and neighbors before the end of the world on October 22, 1844. They scattered tracts. They drew charts. They made appeals and meetings for people to come to Christ. The Christian church had never seen anything like it since apostolic times. The unsheathed Bible and the hope of the return of Jesus Christ had created a missionary culture that had ended the captivity of the Middle Ages. A people who believed that men and women could be won to Christ. And as the hours ticked by, they were pulling out the stops to win every last single person that would turn to Jesus to him before the sky broke open and Christ returned. At last, midnight came on October 22, 1844. They were gathered together to pray in various places. And they sang songs and they held hands. And they looked to the sky for Jesus to come. And the clock ticked to midnight. And then it moved toward dawn. And what had began as the sweet expectation of Jesus' return ended in what history is called the bitter disappointment of 1844. Many had sold their homes, left their potatoes in the field, didn't bring the harvest in that year because Christ was going to bring the harvest. Every hope was centered in the soon return of Jesus. 
And now they were laughed at, they were jeered as they went home and Christ did not return. What would it have been like to have lived through the great disappointment of 1844? A Millerite named Hiram Edson described his bitter experience in these poignant words. Our fondest hopes and expectations were blasted. And such a spirit of weeping came over us as I never experienced before. It seemed that the loss of all earthly friends could have been no comparison. We wept and wept till the day dawned. I mused in my own heart saying my Advent experience has been the richest and brightest of all my Christian experiences. If this has proven a failure, what was the rest of my Christian experience worth? Has the Bible proved a failure? Is there no God, no heaven, no golden home city, no paradise? Is all this but a cunningly devised fable? Is there no reality to our fondest hope and expectations of these things? And thus we had something to grieve and weep over if all our fond hopes were lost. The following morning, Hiram Edson with his friend O.R.L. Crozier decided the only way to face disappointment was to get on their knees and pray. Seek Jesus. Another man was present in a barn as they were all three praying. They were praying for an answer to the question of the cleansing of the sanctuary. Where did Miller go wrong? After prayer, Mr. Edson was walking home through a cornfield when he looked up and suddenly he experienced an understanding like a flash of insight. The scriptures coalesced with what he perceived to be in the heavens. He realized that Miller had got it wrong. The sanctuary is not the earth. There's a sanctuary in heaven. And that the prophecy doesn't point to the earth. It points to heaven. That it's not about what he would do right now. It's what he's doing there so he can come and return. And he sensed that Jesus had just entered the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary to begin his final ministry to receive his kingdom from his father. He'd gone to the marriage to be married to his people in the judgment and then return. Hiram Edson was a simple farmer, but he looked into the sky that day after praying on his knees, and the bitter disappointment of 1844 was turned into insight, and he realized that Jesus was standing at the right hand of God in the most holy place as the high priest of the Day of Atonement and a proxy judgment to receive the kingdom from his father. He had gone to the marriage to receive his kingdom and then return. The event was prophesied by Jesus and the prophet Daniel so clearly, but the great theologians the Middle Ages weren't great enough to figure it out. They had not studied the Bible as they should have. They were unwilling to allow the open book of Daniel to open their lives and minds. A simple farmer on his knees got it right the day after the bitter disappointment of 1844. Take your Bibles, open them up, turn to Luke 19, 11, and 12. A formative verse which these early Millerites began to understand, those who weathered the great disappointment of 1844. As they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, because they, meaning the disciples, supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. I mean, they wanted Christ to set up his kingdom right there on earth, and when it didn't happen, it resulted in the great disappointment of A.D. 31, when Christ didn't do this, but instead he ascended to heaven where he began his ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org video. 
That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. So Christ gave them a truth which was to keep them from falling under the power of disappointment. Verse 12, he said, therefore, a nobleman went where? Into a far off country for what purpose? To receive his kingdom and then return. So in the parable, the nobleman cannot return until he receives his kingdom in that far off country. Now Christ is the nobleman here. He went to heaven for the purpose of receiving his kingdom from his father. And once he has received his kingdom, then he returns. In Daniel 7, 13 and 14, at the end of the Middle Ages, at the end of the four great world empires, at the end of the ten kings of the Middle Ages, something happened in heaven in the 1800s, prophesied right here. I saw in the night visions. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And notice where he comes. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. He's not coming to the earth. He's coming in a cloud of smoke into the presence of God the Father in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary where the throne room of God is at. Like the high priest who came in a cloud of smoke into the most holy place on the day of atonement, the Son of Man is coming to the Father. And look what happens in verse 14. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So what did Jesus say? A nobleman went where? Into a far off country to receive his kingdom, then return. So Hiram Edson got it right. Christ can't come back until he receives his kingdom and that judgment of Daniel 7 from his father. And once he has received that kingdom, then he returns, which meant there was something left to happen on earth. He was a farmer, a humble man, impressed by God upon a humble farmer's heart. The day after the great disappointment of 1844, he realized that Jesus was receiving his kingdom at the right hand of God. And he realized that Jesus had gone to the Father to prepare the world for the coming and the end. The Christ, dear heart, who died on the cross for you as your substitute was now taking your place in a proxy judgment to receive his kingdom from the Father in your behalf. Have you ever been afraid of the judgment? You might stand before God and be unable to answer for all the mess of your life. Anyone here ever been afraid of that? Okay. Here's what's happening. Christ came into the presence of the Father to receive his kingdom. And he says, if you're not ashamed of me, I won't be ashamed of you. With those angels around the throne of God in the presence of his Father, one name at a time, he began to confess the names of those who love him. Not perfect men and women, but men and women who love him, who in his eyes are perfect by grace, and who are willing to grow and know God. He began with righteous Abel, and he moves to the last person who will be in God's kingdom. He says, I want Sue and Mary and Max and John, because they have faith in me. You know, the same Christ who took your place at the cross in this proxy judgment will take your place so that God will accept you in Jesus the truth of the end time pre-advent judgment is part of the everlasting gospel. 
And as he realized that God's people on earth needed to get busy helping people prepare for the soon return of Jesus, there was now no time for bitter disappointment. It was time to move on and get it right for God. The theologians didn't get it right that year. They didn't even know what happened. The Millerites who looked to heaven and kept on studying their Bibles read Daniel 12 and they read Revelation 10 and they were amazed at what they found. They discovered that their experience had been perfectly predicted in Daniel 12 and Revelation 10 and they had lived through the great disappointment of 1844 and God knew of it in advance. And then they read a little further on and it all came together. The Bible predicted that they would get it right. And then they would proclaim the truths of prophecy to the world. Revelation 10, verse 11. I was told you must again prophesy. Now, what does it mean when it says you must again prophesy? It means the first time you got it wrong, so this time you must do it right. You you had a bitter disappointment the first time, but this time there's not going to be a bitter disappointment. You have a global proclamation in mind. It says you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. The Bible predicts that out of the ashes of the great disappointment of 1844, a global prophetic movement would arise that will have corrected the errors of Millerism, that will have a message for the world that will help prepare the world for the coming of Jesus Christ. A prophetic movement arises out of the ashes of 1844. God raised up this prophetic movement that we are in today, friend as the fulfillment of that verse. There's only one church that arose out of the ashes of 1844 that retained the Protestant view of prophecy that has an understanding of the work of Jesus Christ in the heavenly sanctuary that is pointing men and women to Christ as our great advocate in the hour of God's judgment and that is the Seventh-day Adventist church. There is not another people on earth proclaiming this message. You know, if I could not trace the history of my church back to the great disappointment of 1844, I would not be a Seventh-day Adventist today. Because the prophecy points to a movement that would arise out of the ashes of disappointment with the open book of Daniel that would help prepare the world for the coming of Jesus Christ. You know, this movement started out with 50 people struggling with disappointment. 20 million plus all over the world today. Now that doesn't mean that we're perfect. doesn't mean we don't have spots that with that needs the grace of God. We do. But friend, how could a church become the fastest growing movement in North America today, according to sociologists, if it wasn't for something special in the mix? The great Advent movement began in Millerism. The final generation must understand that Jesus has taken his place in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. Friend, Jesus is ready at the time of the end to stand for you. Are you ready to stand for him? The book of Revelation teaches that the hour of God's judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of water. Miller died a broken man. He died five years after the great disappointment of 1844. He was laughed at. He was jeered. He went to his grave wanting Jesus to return. The Christian world before William Miller was post-millennial. The Christian world after William Miller was pre-millennial. The sweet and bitter experience of the Millerite movement predicted in Revelation 10 awakened the Christian church to the sense that Jesus is coming again. 
I'm not ashamed to tell the story of this sincere Baptist preacher, William Miller, because William Miller was a real man of God, and the book of Revelation dedicates a whole chapter to this man's experience and to the Millerite movement. His work for others was predicted in the sixth trumpet of Revelation 10 as a force that would help prepare the world for Jesus' return. His story is part of the story of Revelation's prophecies. Jesus' counsel to us all since 1798 is valid. Friend, we are living at the time of the end. There's not time to play around. We will either be part of the wise who understand, or we'll be part of the crowd that doesn't care at all. And God's not calling you to be saved, to sit in a pew and make no difference at the end. He's calling you to interact with Bible truth and to get it right at the time of the end. Millerism was a prophetic trial run of what will happen at the end when Jesus returns. One day the same energy of 1843 will settle on this planet as the Christian world realizes that Christ is coming, the seven plagues are about to fall, and there will not be one dark cranny of this planet. They will move with an energy like the Millerites did to proclaim the coming of Christ, and Jesus will return. And he will return for a people who have the faith of Jesus and keep all of his holy law. Luke 12, 37, Jesus said this, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will gird himself and have them sit at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the householder had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Then Jesus says this, and he says it to all of us today. You also must be ready. Repeat that. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Well, amen. That will conclude the bitter book and the new beginning, a part of the Revelation series. Thank you so much for listening today to Reaching Your Heart. Make sure that you join us again next time. And you can also go online to listen to this message in its entirety at reachingyourheart.com. Again, thanks for listening. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland. 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. Reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. Reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening. And we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.